You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 305. Today is January 18th, 2022, and that was Buddy Davis from Answers in Genesis with his song, Billions of Dead Things. (laughs) That is kind of a funny, odd song. That is the kind of song that plays quite often in a conservative Christian homeschooling family. And that's okay. There's a lot worse things, a lot cringier things that you could listen to. If you enjoy that song, why not? Why be embarrassed about that? I think it's all right. It's not my favorite. It's not my cup of tea necessarily. But that's more a matter of style, not a question of substance. But this episode, I want to talk about making sense of young earth creationism. And I'm actually scheduled to give a apologetic talk at Summit View Community Church for Wednesday night youth group in February. I just started yesterday preparing for that. But in a certain sense, I've been preparing for that talk for 20 plus years, Um, probably honestly for most of my life. When I was a wee lad growing up in Eastern Montana, I distinctly remember us going to creation science events. When we moved to Ohio, I distinctly remember going to creation science events. I've met Ken Ham. I've heard him speak several times. We were there on opening day when the Creation Museum in Kentucky opened up and there were TV crews and police for security because there were threats that had been made from crazy people who feel very triggered by anyone questioning the official narrative as far as where we come from and why are we here and where are we going, questioning the secular science consensus, which creationists, especially the Answers in Genesis crowd, not only do, we don't only 
question we reject. We reject the official secular scientific explanation for where we come from because it's folly. It's For one thing, it's not good science. It is more metaphysics than it is physics. It is more of a pseudo-religion. It's a religious perspective and not so much good science. And the trouble with the mainstream scientific approach to questions of origin is that it starts with the assumption that there is no God. And from there, it has to extrapolate out all of these very complicated, interwoven, uh, not valid explanations. In order for there to not be a God, we have to posit that the universe is eternal or that it coming into being from the Big Bang, the Big Bang is self-existent. Something has to be self-existent, though. Something has to be an original, uncaused cause, a root cause. Modern secular science rejects God as that uncaused cause. And you can't argue secular scientists who are committed to atheism out of their atheism. You just can't. If they're committed to their atheism and they're proud and they're conceited and they're wise in their own eyes, well, there's more hope for a fool than there is for them. Because not only do they <laughs> believe that they're right, they think you're an idiot for even suggesting that there's another possibility much less believing that, much less confidently asserting, exploring, and communicating that. There's a profound lack of respect towards young earth creationists, uh, which I am a young earth creationist, and I've experienced this firsthand. It is a very disheartening thing outside the church to be insulted and abused because I believe in a young earth. I believe that Genesis is to be taken literally. Do I think that it's only a literal message and that it doesn't have any kind of poetic quality or any figurative symbolic quality? Well, no, 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 no. But that's a false choice. And see, that's the, the trouble with the folks who try to make it only a symbolic, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis. They try to make it only a symbolic story as if it can't be symbolic and also literally true. You know, which would be better for something that is supposed to be a symbol and a sign and a foretaste of things to come, for it to be only symbolically true but not literally true, or for it to be symbolically true and literally true? Well, the answer to that question seems obvious to me. It's better for it to be literally true and symbolically true. But the topic of what young earth creationism is and how does it arrive at an age for the earth of six to 10,000 years when everyone knows, you know, just turn on a documentary, open up a National Geographic, open up a geology textbook or a biology textbook or an astronomy textbook. Everybody knows that the earth is millions and billions of years old. The universe is millions and billions of years old. We all know that, right? How does young earth creationism 
come up with a different answer? Well, the simple, short answer to that question of how young earth creationism views these things is that young earth creationism starts with God's word. We start with God's word and we embrace God's word as being true and perfect and infallible and completely reliable. Let God be true and every man a liar, God's word says. And I can understand, let me just say this before I delve more into what young earth creationism is and isn't, but I can understand people outside of the church who don't profess any kind of Christian faith rejecting that, just wholesale, no. No, I I don't believe that your Bible is God's word. I don't believe it is divine revelation. I don't believe that there is such a thing as divine revelation because I don't believe there is such a thing as divinity. I think it's all matter. Well, okay, at least you're consistent, right? What really makes my head hurt and my heart hurt is when professing Christians who claim they believe that the Bible is God's inspired word then argue as if it can't possibly mean what it says and we can't possibly understand what it says and we can't possibly work on the assumption that this is true. I believe that it's true, but we can't possibly talk like it. (laughs) We can't possibly do science like that. We can't, you know, no, 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 no. Where would it end, right? Where pretty soon you're going around trying to follow Jesus and evangelize and tell people that they're going to be raised from the dead if they believe in Jesus. And uh, it's just too much. It's too much. But as far as where young earth creationism gets this age for six to 10,000 years, it has everything to do with the book of Genesis for one saying in the beginning, God, right? So right off the bat, you've got an introduction to the main character of the entire Bible. Main character of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. The the main character of the Old Testament, the main character of the New Testament, the main character of the Christian faith. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. And when it tells us that he created in six days, young earth creationists look at a couple of things to guide their literal understanding of that, or they're they're taking that literally. For one thing, it says, and there was morning and evening on the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth, fifth, sixth. That's one thing. How do you explain morning and evening being repeated like that so explicitly why why have that in there for a purely symbolic meaning if we're not supposed to take it literally why does it say there was morning and evening and and what more would the author of genesis need to tell us in order for us to take that literally we have to literally say and there was morning and evening 24 literal hours not symbolic hours, literal hours. Like how far does the author have to go in belaboring the point 
for the hard-hearted who are rejecting it. Not because it's not clear what it says, but because they clearly don't like what it says because it's inconvenient. The onus is not on God to make it any clearer than he already did. We have the responsibility to not be dull of hearing, but to listen up, to pay attention, and to submit ourselves. But that takes humility. And that's hard sometimes, very often. It's hard for us to have humility. That's what it seems like to me from my having thought about this and interacted quite a lot with people who embrace the secular science and essentially go along with the foolish assertion that there is no God. Or if there is a God, we're going to act and speak and think as if there is no God. Which seems to me like half a dozen of one and six of the other. What's the difference? But in my experience, trying to talk about origins and talk about a literal understanding of Genesis, almost especially with Christians, there's a lack of humility. There's a lack of willingness to submit our minds and our hearts to God in this and just trust that, hey, here's what his word says. Well, yeah, but those very smart looking men over there with white lab coats and super sciencey glasses and advanced degrees and tenure and a microphone and public funding, those guys over there say something different. They seem more credible. They they seem like maybe they know better than God. I'm I'm gonna go just, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with them, if you don't mind. Except it isn't just that, right? I actually funny story, I cut my teeth before I got into podcasting like this, before I got into blogging at On the Rocks blog with my cousins Micah Hirschberger and Marshall Mullet. Before I really got into Facebook debates and trying to, you know, do apologetics on there. I was a high school kid who had grown up with a lot of exposure to Answers in Genesis material, Kinham material. And I remember jumping on scienceforums.net, which is like this global discussion board, or it was, I don't know if it's even around anymore, but this discussion board for scientists all over the world. And I'll tell you what, for supposedly being very smart people, they had some very unsophisticated reactions to my trying to bring up creation science. Rather than countering what I was saying with sound arguments, respectfully, patiently, the knee-jerk go-to was abuse. It was to be insulting and rude and to basically do what Richard Dawkins recommends. Richard Dawkins here a few years back was giving a lecture and he recommended to his audience, if you meet somebody who believes in God, mock them, make fun of them, make fun of them until 
they go away or shut up. That's how you deal with religious folks. Well, that's par for the course for the scientific consensus. It's like a intellectual regime. They want to have the corner on the science. And if the science turns out to be wildly opposite their assumptions, their presuppositions, they would rather just not go there. And they'd rather not engage with you except to hurl abuse on you. Well, that's a lack of humility. That's a lack of godliness. But for its part, young earth creationism is undeterred from concerns about abuse, concerns about being mocked and jeered at. If anything, young earth creationism might embrace Buddy Davis and sing-alongs like I played at the top of this episode all the more as if to underscore the point that, you know what, we really don't care what you think of us. We just really don't. What's true is true, and at the end of the day, we're not going to be the ones embarrassed. If God's word is true, and we believe in it, by God's grace, just wait. Six to 10,000 years. For folks who believe and have always believed and don't know any different, don't know any better, they weren't allowed to hear a alternative explanation or anytime they were told that there is an alternative explanation, they were presented with that. You'd better not ever believe it or we'll mock you too. We'll destroy your reputation as a scientist too. It must be hard to imagine the earth being so young. What if the earth is so young? as six to 10,000 years when you've spent your whole life believing what you were told, that it's millions and billions of years old. What if it is only six to 10,000 years? And what if the Bible's true? What if the Bible's not just true about Jesus, but it's true from the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book? What if it's true and it is six to 10,000 years old? All of a sudden, all of the things that you read about from recorded history and the things that we conjecture and we speculate from what we think we know, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Uh, we know in part, we speculate in part, you might say, in large part, based on fossil records, archaeological records, written accounts, the best evidence that we have being interpreted, interpreted <laughs> by uh, usually whoever's the most aggressive in browbeating the rest or whoever is the most impressive and eloquent in presenting the facts or whoever has the most funding. That's got to be hard to imagine for folks who didn't grow up hearing these things learning these things. But I would challenge you, if you're one of those folks, have you looked at creation scientists actually doing science? Or have you taken 
your impression of them entirely secondhand from everybody else besides creation scientists. Now, I'm not saying you go to Answers in Genesis and every last thing you're going to read there is going to be 100% bulletproof, totally without a mistake. Well, no, they're people, right? Discover Magazine, National Geographic, Scientific American, the Smithsonian, they print retractions. They have to print corrections. So they're not in any position to say, oh, those you know, young earth creationists, aha, hey, look at this. They got that wrong. What idiots. No, 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 no. But I think what you do find in the young earth creationist, creation science crowd, is you find a much greater humility, typically, by virtue of our submitting the way that we do science to God's word. Now, you can become conceited in that too and say, ah, you know, hey, like we've got the corner on the market in understanding these things. But I really don't think that's a big temptation for creation scientists. Not in my view, not in my experience, not as I've seen. And the world is very quick to knock us down a few pegs if we ever have any temptation to get a big head. The world is not letting us get big heads about these things. But you just take that account in Genesis 1 through 11, the creation account. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told what God created on the first day, the sixth, for the first day, the, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth day, and that he rested on the seventh. And it says there, were more, there, there was morning and evening on the first day, on the second day, so on and so forth. And then it records that God looked at what he had created and he said that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then after he makes man, he says it's very good. And we read elsewhere in the scriptures that death entered the world through the sin of one man, Adam. And that also is another reason that young earth creationists hold to a young earth. How does it follow if evolution is true? And evolution is how God created man and all the animals, or any of the animals. How does it follow that death entered the world through the sin of Adam? Is that a literal death or is that a figurative death? Was there death and dying and natural selection and dog eat dog for millions and billions of years? And then at a certain point, one of these hairless monkeys has evolved enough to where God can call him Adam and then call his mate Eve and he bestows consciousness on them, gives them souls as we know them. But there was all this death and dying, and it was only a figurative death. It was only a symbolic and spiritual death that resulted from sin. I mean, the whole thing falls apart. It really does. You start pulling on any of these threads for the sake of accommodating modern secular science and not being laughed at by it, and the whole thing very quickly 
falls apart because it just gets absurd. It just gets silly. Which, which takes more faith to believe that everything has always existed forever, randomly, unguided, by chance, the universe is self-existent, the uncaused cause, and all the rest is just random chemical processes sometime millions and millions of years ago resulting in the formation of very simple single-cell organisms which then reproduced, evolved, 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 evolved. Does that take less faith? Or is it just that the object of faith in that theory is more palatable to people who have said in their hearts there is no God because they don't want to be accountable to God? I think it takes even more faith still to try and combine that theory with the Genesis account and come out with anything approaching a sensible worldview. So wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. Death entered the world through the sin of one man, Adam. The whole race fell, but death was already here by God's design for millions and millions of years, even though it says there was morning and evening on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. Uh, what? That's even worse, right? Like that's not more believable. It's just more convenient if you're trying to be friends with, be accepted by, be liked by the people you are so afraid of. You have fear of man issues. That's what that is. You're afraid of people mocking you. And while understandable, that's also going to be your downfall. You need to repent of that. You need to fear God instead of fearing man. The fear of man lays a snare, Proverbs says. But whoever trusts in Yahweh is safe. There's a double-mindedness to theistic evolution, which can't be reconciled. But again, young earth creationism, very simply says, who else but God would know how all of this matter, all that we see in the physical universe, came into existence. Who else but God would know? If not God, does this guy, who's like two years older than me, but likes to use big fancy words and thinks he's smarter than everybody, does this guy know more than God? How? I guess that would make him God, right? No? Okay. Was he there? Was he there? No? No? He wasn't there. Does he have like video footage of the Big Bang? Like, What evidence does he have except for a long line of creative imaginations which reject the creative account in Genesis? Anything but that. No, no, no. Not God creating because then that would mean that he has ownership. If he created the universe, well, that would imply that he owns it. If he created us, that implies that he owns us. Well, that's exactly what you find, Old Testament and New Testament. You are not your own, Paul writes. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Ooh, ah, please, no, I don't like that. That gets in the way of my authentic self-expression. I like to believe that I belong to myself. I am my own man. I'm a self-made man. Um, such does not exist. Such has never existed. There has never been such a thing as a self-made man. Not truly. Not really. 
by God's grace, you exist and he sustains you. And then he allows you to do this or that as it pleases him, as it suits his purpose and plan. The only question really is whether you realize that, whether you know that, whether you factor that into your equation. And if you refuse to factor that into your equation, well, you are fulfilling what Proverbs tells us about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and how the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Young Earth Creationism concludes God would know better than anyone else where the universe comes from, where everything in the universe comes from, where the sun, the moon, and the stars come from, where those nebulae and comets, asteroid fields come from. God would know better than anyone where the earth comes from, where the oceans and the mountains and the dry land, where the birds and the fish and the animals and the plants and man come from. God would know better than anybody else. And to anybody who would say, well, you know, you know, we, I just don't think we can. I think it's, it's uh, arrogant, right? I've heard that one. I think it's arrogant for us to suppose that we can understand what God meant by this. I, think, I just think that's very conceited. I think we need to have more humility than that. Is, is it really arrogant to suppose that God is a good communicator? I don't think that's arrogant. I don't think it's arrogant to conclude that God knows not only what happened, but also how to tell us what happened. How much do we need to know? And how to let us know. I don't think that's arrogant at all. Actually, I think it would be an insult to God to suppose that when he created us, he made us incapable of understanding something as basic as God created. That statement. God created. He spoke, it says. It doesn't say he knocked over one domino and then that domino knocked over millions of years worth of other dominoes to have this final effect. No. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. He created all that is by speaking it into existence out of nothing. That is what you get from God. That power, that ability, he's the uncaused cause. And you have to have one. You must have one. The young earth creationist is okay with believing that the earth is young and that God created it because of what the young earth creationist believes about the character and the nature of God based on the word of God. Now you might be wondering, and this is part of the question coming up at this apologetic talk in February, why six to 10,000 years? Where does six to 10,000 years come from? It's very simple. Take the genealogies in Genesis. We have so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And if you follow those forward, if you take the genealogies in Genesis and then you combine those genealogies with the rest of biblical history, including in the New Testament, you can work your way up to Jesus crucified on the cross 
around 30 AD, and we know what year it is now, it's 2022, and then you do the math, work backwards, and then subtract about six days. Genesis, genealogies, the genealogy of Jesus, how much time between Jesus and us in the gospel accounts during his incarnation, all of that, T minus six. Now, someone will say, well, Garrett, there you go again. You young earth creationists taking the Bible literally when it says these first several generations of people lived for hundreds of years. You can't, you can't seriously believe people were living for 967 years. Come on, come on, come on, man. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. No way. That's got to be a placement error, right? Like 96.7 instead of 967. No, 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 no. Uh, you guys, this, come on. This is why nobody takes you guys seriously. No, 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 no. Put the mockery and the contempt on the back burner for just a second and hear me out. Suppose with me there was no death and dying initially. And when God looked at creation, including man, male and female, created in his image to live forever with no death and dying in the world because there was no sin yet. God said it was very good. And death is not very good. But God said that it was very good. And if there was no death and dying, then it follows that man was created to live forever. In fact, that is the hope of the Christian. If that hope is not true, if man is not made to live forever, it is impossible for man to live forever, well then... The entire Christian faith is a lot of hokum. As Paul writes in the New Testament, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we are above all people to be most pitied. And we are pathetic. We are deserving of all of the jeering and mockery. But Christ indeed has been risen from the dead. And we also have that hope of resurrection in him by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. But before that can be true, it has to be possible. If God promises eternal life for those who are in Christ, who belong to Christ, whose names are written in the book of life, if that be true, it must be possible that man can live forever by God's grace. And if that's possible, and if there was no death and dying in the world, except after Adam sinned, after he took some of the fruit from his wife, and ate it, even though it was fruit that God had forbidden them from eating, had said, do not eat it. The only rule, one rule, don't eat this fruit. Disobeys, then comes death, and dying, and suffering, and the curse. Well, then it stands to reason, from all of that, that whatever happened in a spiritual sense, in a figurative sense, in a narrative sense, also happened objectively and literally in the fall. Yes, yes, we are symbolically dead. We're symbolically separated from God. But also, literally, 
physically, our genetic code is breaking down to where our bodies don't rebuild cells as fast as those cells are dying. That's all death is. Your body stops keeping up with the decay rate on your cells. Wears out. And once your cells are dying faster than they're being replenished, it's just a matter of time. It's like sand, grains, and an hourglass. But what if? What if the grains of sand were bigger and the orifice in the hourglass was smaller for those first several generations, from Adam to Noah, for instance. That's where you see the longest lifespans. You still see long lifespans from Noah forward for several generations, not like before the flood. What if the genetic code was not as broken in those first several generations because the effects of cumulative sin had not yet wreaked the havoc that we're so accustomed to in our day. That seems very plausible to me. That seems entirely plausible. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. So I do take, and young earth creationists do take, not just the six days of creation, literally. We also take the genealogies, literally. We take them as true history. And the funny piece of it is that in our day and age, for all that secular science scoffs at the idea that the Genesis genealogies could be literally true, they think it's possible for human beings to live for hundreds of years. They're working on it. They're trying to get there. Can we do some things with genetics? It's all in the genes. If they can do something genetically to reverse aging, conceivably, we can live forever. Young earth creationists arrive at a young age for the earth because when it says day, there was morning and evening on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, and he rested on the seventh. We see that Hebrew word that's translated into English as day, but in Hebrew is yom. And we note that every other time that word yom appears in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, it always signifies a literal 24-hour period. It never signifies anything else. It doesn't signify a thousand years or some other long span of time. It's always a 24-hour period. And that's the most intuitive reading. And I'm very, very skeptical of science generally in the mainstream. Not science done well, done right. I love science. When it's done well, I don't like science as propaganda. I don't like science as an argument from authority. Someone puts on a white lab coat and all of a sudden they become a kind of god to the rest of us. They're a modern-day secular priesthood. And I'm sorry, that's not my religion. I already have a religion, thank you. That ain't it. So in some sense, young earth creationists were in the best possible position to resist the siren song of the Dr. Fauci's and the World Health Organization through this COVID pandemic. 
we're the most skeptical, we're the most critical, the most likely to say, well, wait a second. I'm already used to disagreeing with you guys on these other things. Something doesn't quite add up. And actually, the safest place for science to be is in the hands of young earth creationists and folks who are tolerant of young earth creationism. There should be a ready enthusiasm towards the foregone conclusions being questioned, alternative theories being presented, which make sense of the evidence in a different light. If you don't like that light, well then, come up with a better argument. But if all you've got is argumentum ad hominem, smears, attacks, abuse, you've lost. You lost my confidence, certainly. I don't find that very compelling. Nobody should... Nobody else should either. <laughs> I will say, what is exciting about young earth creationism is that it really does set you free from a very dark view of God and of history and a very confused view of God's word. I'm a young earth creationist. And that's okay. If you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. If you've got questions, you can try and answer them. If you've got a good sound counter-argument, let's hear it. If you're just going to be rude, meh, shrug. That says more about you than it does about me. I got to leave it there, though. It's a Tuesday, a Tuesday morning. I'm working on my new book, getting that outlined still. Stay tuned for more on that. But I've got the four sections planned out. I've got the chapters labeled. They may change in their order and their specific wording a little bit as I go. Probably will. But today, this morning, I'm going to map out based on what weeks this year I'm going to be scheduled off a plan for writing one chapter every other week. So every week that I'm off, I'm going to write one chapter and I hope to be finished with a rough draft of the book in about 18 weeks. I've got 18 chapters planned. should take me about 18 weeks to write those chapters. And actually, no, I'm sorry. Every other week, that'll make it 36 weeks. Uh, maybe sometime in September, probably, uh, if it goes well, if it goes according to plan, Lord willing, I'll have a new book for all y'all. If you would like to help me review the manuscript, the first draft, hit me up now. You can reach me at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Let me know if you'd be interested and I can send you a copy. You can check it out and give me some feedback. Help me to make it as good a book as it possibly can be. But in any event, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. In the ark in a worldwide flood, where the world was judged. If there really was a worldwide flood, what would the evidence be? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down the water all over the earth. Billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down the water all over the earth.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.